0: Good morning, everyone. I guess this meeting is being recorded. but glad to have you join us today in our Sunday worship. My name is uh, Thomas, and I'm one of the pastors here. This is your first time, and again, we welcome you. This is your first time, Uh, and we are going through uh, a sermon series uh, through Genesis, which we actually started uh, since January. And so if you've been with us, uh, we've been going through Genesis for about five months or so. Whenever I read the story now of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm always going to think about COVID. I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing, but those two have now been associated together with me forever. Uh, And, but, you know, after five months of going through uh, Genesis, uh, starting in chapter 12, uh, we'll be closing today because uh, next, next week we actually have our college director, Daniel Shim. He's going to be preaching for us. And then the week after that, we're going to be doing a new shorter sermon series uh, for the month of June. And then we actually hope that in the month of July, it's uh, usually a, a month where we try to get different guest speakers to come to uh, have a different voice to preach to our church while our staff and the, our leadership t- tries to plan for the rest of the year. And so uh, just a couple of things to uh, keep in mind. But yeah, today uh, we are ending uh, Genesis. And one reason why we're ending Genesis today, um, it's not just because we're tired. Uh, I wonder there might be a little bit of that. But uh, the main thing is actually this is where the story of Jacob ends. Uh, Genesis chapter 33 is the story of Jacob is kind of over. Uh, because the rest of Genesis, uh, there's actually going to be more about Jacob's sons moving forward. And so that's why if you look at chapter 34, it's actually about his children. And uh, my hope is one day that we could revisit Genesis. The hope is always to go through the entire book of Genesis, but it is 50 chapters. And so 50 chapters of Genesis might be like that would take a long time. So we broke up in chunks and maybe one day in uh, one season in 2022, we could revisit the story of Genesis. And it's a lot of it's about Jacob's sons and the story of Joseph. Uh, But until then... Uh, we'll be concluding the book of Genesis in chapter 33. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you all to open one last time to Genesis, turn to chapter 33, and we're going to be reading the entire chapter uh, to close out our series. And so Genesis chapter 33, this is heavily connected to chapter 32. So just uh, keep in mind, I'm going to be referencing a lot to last week's message and the week before, but if this is your first time, hope I could fill in in terms of the context. But chapter 33, starting in verse one. So it writes in verse one, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And their servants drew near, they and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my presence present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that it is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And then he urged them and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks would die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and Sire. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made boots for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Panoram, And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamer, Shechem's Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. This is the reading of God's word. So one thing I've grown up realizing is uh, there's some things I don't like in life, and I kind of am less ashamed to not like it. And uh, I feel like the thing that I don't like a lot these days is something that a lot of you probably don't like. Which is uh, things that feel uh, pretty shallow. I realize I don't like shallow things at all. For example, years ago, I remember I took my kids to a water park. And uh, in the water park, everybody was swimming and diving in the water and going down big slides and swimming and having fun, except for me. Because I was with my kids in this two foot pool, just playing with them. And I realized, oh my gosh, shallow pools suck. Like I hate shallow pools. Like it's so boring. There's nothing to do but to splash around. Uh, so I don't like shallow pools. I don't like shallow things, and I realize, you know, something else. I don't like. I don't like shallow people. Shallow people to me are people who I just don't have much interest talking to. People who just are into their looks a lot. They talk about money all the time or talk about their possessions. When I meet someone who's shallow and they have like no depth to them, I, I keep the conversation short because it's not. I don't get much out of that conversation. But what I like, what I dislike more than shallow pools or shallow people. I actually really dislike shallow relationships, people, relationships where the whole time you're relating to them is just very surface level, where the type of relationship you have with them, it doesn't really go very deep. Now, I understand when you first meet somebody, you kind of have to do the small talk. You have to kind of just get to know each other and so forth. I understand you start shallow, but I hate when it stays shallow. If a relationship is always surface level and we're always talking about surface level stuff, I don't really prioritize that relationship. It doesn't do much for me. They are kind of become acquaintances because that is a relationship that isn't very meaningful to me. I don't like shallow relationships. And perhaps this is why for so many of us, we struggle with our faith. It doesn't do much for us because when we think about it, our faith is shallow because our relationship with God feels shallow. It feels sometimes like it's only two feet deep. It feels like only time you're with God is just small talk you do with him. For, se- for example, some of you, you kind of maybe uh, always felt this way in your life, where even though you grew up in the church and you're told that God is real and you, sh- and you believe in him, God your whole life has felt like an acquaintance. It's never felt deep. He's only kind of sprinkled in your life. It's kind of a shallow relationship. And so even though you believe in God, he's just kind of on the margins. You don't really prioritize it because shallow relationships are things we just don't prioritize. Or for some of you, maybe you were deep with God. You remembered a time where you felt like God knew you and you knew God. But right now, during this past season, that deepness is kind of gone. And it feels a little bit shallow. And therefore, your faith's just not a priority these days. And so since we don't like shallow things, we struggle to see the importance of our faith because it's just super shallow. Genesis, when as the, the passage we've been reading, the story we've been reading the past few weeks, we actually see a character named Jacob, he is the epitome of somebody who also had a shallow faith because his relationship with God was also very shallow. Jacob grew up like every pastor's nightmare, which is he's that horrible PK who, even though he learned about God, he taught taught all the stories and promises of God, but he just did not care about God. God was never a priority in his life. It wasn't until Jacob ran to a crisis where he ran away from Esau and lived in Haran for 20 years, that he encountered God. He had a vision of a stairway that all of a sudden things kind of shifted where he goes, oh my gosh, God is real. What's interesting is even after that first encounter with God, uh, nothing really changed about Jacob. He was still a deceiver. He was still prioritizing himself in relationships. He was still causing a lot of trouble. He was pretty much Jacob just with a little bit of God sprinkled in his life. That was Jacob. And so, and the reason why Jacob was like this is even though Jacob had a relationship with God, it was very shallow. It wasn't very deep. It wasn't something that was very life-changing. But if you're with us last week, that all changed. Last week, something happened in Jacob's life in Genesis 32. Jacob had a second encounter with God. And in the second encounter with God, Jacob wrestled with God all night. Jacob's hip got dislocated, and now he's walking with a limp. And Jacob walked away from that encounter with a new identity. His name has now changed to Israel. And the reason why Jacob has changed is because his relationship with God changed. It's no longer shallow and superficial, but it has become this deep, intimate relationship with God moving forward. And now what we're going to learn today in Genesis 33 is how we also can experience that same deepness with God. If you're exploring Christianity, or you're struggling with Christianity, or you're struggling with the faith, perhaps it could be because your relationship or your faith, it's hard because it's just very shallow these days. And how do you go about making it deeper? Or for some of you, maybe for us, if we actually feel deep, how can we actually even experience more intimacy with God? Because God wants that with his people. Today, we're going to see the story of Jacob, where after he experiences this transformation with God, God leads Jacob to do a couple things to deepen that relationship even more. And we're gonna see through that how we also can deepen our relationship in faith as well. And there's three things we're gonna see. Three ways to grow deeper with God. First, you grow deeper with God by exploring your past. Second, you grow deeper with God by reconciling your relationships. And then third, you grow deeper with God by always remembering God's grace. Explore your past, reconcile relationships, remembering God's grace. Deep stuff, Let's go. Let's start with the first one. Grow deeper with God by exploring your past. So, Jacob, he just wrestled with God, had his long wrestling match, and life changed. And as the next morning dawns and he walks ahead, he looks and he sees something up in the hills. His brother Esau is coming towards him. Look again what it says in chapter 33, verses 1 to 2. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. And so Jacob divided the children among Leah and Rachel and two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in the front, and then Leah with her children, and Jacob and Joseph last of all. And then he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now here's what's interesting. This scene in verses 1 to 3, this is a scene where even though a lot has happened in Jacob's life, he wrestled God. He he ran away from home for 20 years. He got married, had children. But when you actually read about chapter 33, these three verses, most commentators would say this by far is the most significant moment of Jacob's life. This is the moment where for Jacob, everything that he has gone through has built up to this moment. Why so? Well, remember, context. This is the first time Jacob is meeting his brother Esau. In 20 years, they are twin. They were twin brothers who grew up together their whole life. But what caused the separation was Jacob. He stole Esau's birthright. He stole Esau's blessings, which is pretty much the equivalent of today. If your parents left you an inheritance and your sibling goes, it's mine. And he, they took it legally. That's what kind of happened with Jacob and Esau and Esau. When this happened, he vowed to kill Jacob. He says, I'm going to kill you, man, because he did this to me. As soon as our dad dies, you're dead. And I remember, and I mentioned this before, but when I read the story back in the day about Jacob and Esau, I thought they were like teenagers. I thought they were kids, and it's just like this temper tantrum. And I hear, you know, kids say it all the time, I'll kill you, man, and you don't really mean it. Jacob and Esau, they were 40 years old when this happened. They were 40. That's like me going to you and saying, I'll kill you because of what you did to me. If I say that to you, I probably mean it. And it might be a scary thing. If somebody who's older, it's 40-year-old men who are fighting with one another. And so because of that, Jacob's like, my brother's going to kill me. And so he decided he's going to run away. And he ran to live with his uncle in Haran. And what happened was Jacob established a new life. After he ran away, Jacob, he was living in a new country, a new place. He was, had a new job that was doing very well. He got married and he had children. And he ever, even encountered God. He had a new faith. And he lived this new life for 20 years. Imagine you lived and moved, you had a big conflict, you moved to New York, you moved to, the, to Texas, you have a home, you have a family, you left everything behind, 20 years of this new life. Right now you are 60 years old, getting ready just to chill, just to retire, just to be good. And if Jacob moved and built himself this new life for 20 years, what the heck is he doing meeting with Esau again? Why do we find ourselves seeing Jacob Meeting Esau after twenty years in chapter thirty-three. The reason why Jacob is here is because that we saw a few weeks ago in chapter thirty-one, verse three. After twenty years, it says in verse three, the Lord said to Jacob, "Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you." Is that like Jacob wanted to go back? God called Jacob to go back home, and while in one sense God did this because his situation was bad with Laban. He could have told Jacob, hey, go, Laban's bad, like go somewhere else. But instead, God goes, go home, go back home. And Esau is there waiting for you. Why is God doing this? The reason why is because before God can move Jacob forward in his covenant plans, he needs Jacob to move backwards to resolve his past problems. Before Jacob could ever move ahead, he has to go behind. And realize that it was only when Jacob started to return home and only when he was about to confront Esau, that's when God came down and was wrestled with Jacob, this intimate encounter. Because God promised Jacob, when you go back, I will be with you. And Jacob, life changed in this process of going back. In fact, in chapter 32, Jacob walked away saying, I've seen God face to face. Because in the process of Jacob going back to his past, He experienced this deep intimacy with god like he never experienced before now a similar way for us if you want to move forward with god and experience his presence a little more deeply in your life you can't ignore your past you can't ignore your past in fact you have to confront your past far more often than you realize and this is hard this is really hard because sometimes the past is difficult to explore i don't know how many of you guys still have facebook anymore i don't know how often you guys check it but facebook has a a feature i think it's been around for a while it's called memories facebook memories and pretty much what facebook memories does it, it kind of shows you each day a memory of a picture you posted or a status you posted from years ago and sometimes when i see my facebook and it shows like a memory I go oh that's very it's a very nostalgic memory it'll show like a picture of me and my wife uh, with the kids or it'll show my kids being like babies and i see uh, how the young they were i go wow I, I missed those days very nostalgic sometimes though uh the pictures are kind of cringe the memories are cringe where i'll see a picture I go oh my gosh like i was so skinny back then or oh what the heck like why does my hair look like that like you kind of have these cringe memories that are there in the past as well but you know more often than not sometimes when the memories come up from like five years ago seven years ago uh, the memories are kind of painful because there'll be a picture of me with two people that I'm like, oh, I'm not friends with them anymore. Or like, oh, those people, they're like, they're gone now. And it was, it's kind of weird these days. Those are painful memories. And so a lot of us, because of that, because our memories are not just nostalgic, because the past is not just cringe, but because our memories and past, it's painful. It's actually hard for us to want to explore. It's hard for us to want to go back. But the thing is, you need to at times if you ever want to make progress moving forward. And here's why a couple of problems happens. If you if you're the type of person, you go, I'm just moving ahead, man. My life is new. The past is the past. There's a couple of problems when that happens. The first problem is there's so much about your present that's based upon what happened to you in your past. You can't make sense of the present. If you never, ever try to connect it and map it back to what happened to you before. Uh, I don't do this often, but I'm going to do this uh, right now because it's our last series in Genesis. And so I'm going to share a screen real quick. And I feel like it's just a nice visual of understanding how things work in our hearts. And some of you have seen me do this before, but uh, imagine you are your heart's an iceberg. Your heart's an iceberg. And this top part here, this is something that everybody sees. Everybody sees this. This is the the curated version of you. This is the polite version of you. It's the things you do, the things you say. And we all can kind of see, oh, that's, that's who you are. But obviously, this, is not, this doesn't encapsulate you. There's more to you, and that's everything that's down here. Underneath you, on, on top of this, is all your actions, what everyone sees. But underneath here, there's something deeper going on. Why do you do certain things? Why do you act a certain way? Why do you get triggered by certain things? This is what's really going on. That's something that's causing you to act that way. And what's actually going on underneath your actions is this thing that we call emotions. You have emotions. For example, when I'm driving on the road, if someone cuts me off, I tend to get angry. I go, oh, how how dare you cut me off? And, you know, I'll stay in my car and they can't hear me, but I'll be like angry. Versus when my wife is driving and someone cuts her off, she's like, oh, somebody cut me off. And she's just like, whatever's about it. What's going on? It's because for her, it's chill. But for me, I get really angry. I get really upset. Why do we react to the exact same thing in such different ways? We feel two totally different emotions. Why do we feel different emotions? What causes me to be angry and her not to be angry? If you map it, oftentimes, there's something from your past. It's often connected to our past. That causes us to be so different from one another because we experience things that are different from another person. Our past makes us unique in that way. And so for us, this is something that we have to realize because if you don't realize that, you're going to blame the present circumstances for why you're acting that way. When in reality, there is something deeper going on in your heart, and it's a painful part of your heart. Oftentimes, something that happened in your past. This past week, I remember I've been reading stories about abuse that's been happening in different contexts, in the workplace, in the church. I just I don't know why it's like a it's not a healthy thing, but I've just been reading all about it, and I found myself shutting down because of it. I I was so unmotivated to work or do anything meaningful. And I realized the reason why I was feeling this way was I was really discouraged by the stories. Like these stories I'm reading, I'm like, the world is cruel what's the point? (laughs) I kind of reacted that way, which is funny because I met with friends yesterday who read the same stories or other pastors. And they're like, man, these stories are so bad. I'm like, aren't they bad? Isn't it discouraging? They go, no, it motivates me. We got to even be more faithful for God's church. I'm like, really? Like, why are you reacting in this like positive way? But I'm reacting in this discouraging way. And it made me realize, oh my goodness, like the reason why I'm so discouraged is a lot of these stories that I'm reading, it reminds me of things from my past. I realized I witnessed a lot of things that were not good, a lot of abusive situations, contexts that were actually people abusing authority or things like that. And I realized that stuff, it just really triggered me, making me think of things that happened in my life, things that I haven't really fully explored. And it made me realize every time you experience something painful in the present, it's actually a window that connects to something that happened before you. Do you know what's happening? Do you know how it connects? Do you ever go there? If we never go there, you'll never understand what's happening in the present. But here's something else that happens. If you never explore your past, if you never connect the present to the past, you can't grow deeply intimate with God the way that you are supposed to. You just can't. Let me show you that screen again. You see, this is you. Again, this is what everyone sees. And that's if, that, if that's all that they see, you have a shallow relationship with them. If all they see is the pretty version of you, you're just not that close to them. You just won't be. But when they see this, when they see this, where they go, oh, you went through that in your life? Oh, that's how you grew up? Oh, that happened to you? That's when things tend to get deep with the friend. I still remember moments where I I would share and then we just, you know, after four hours of talking, it's like, hey, man, tell me your life story. We just kind of talk. And after those moments, I'm like, wow, I feel so close to you. You're like a groomsman to me now. Like it kind of just all of a sudden develops intimacy. Why? Because you're more than this. This isn't you. This is you. This is who you are. And unless someone knows you, you just won't feel close or intimate or as deep as you ought to. And the question is, do we ever let God speak into that? Has God ever spoke into your past or is God just something about the present, your future, but the past is just totally separate thing. And for a lot of us, because God does not see the deepness of our hearts, he just sees the shallow parts. It affects your relationship with God. You have a difficult time trusting God, that God is a trustworthy God. You don't know if God's going to be the faithful father that he says he is. And you think it's because you have a hard time believing in God, but in reality, it's because you hate your father. You have a dad that you don't like. And that's why it's hard for you. For some of you, you believe that uh, you have a difficult time feeling forgiven. You have a hard time feeling really forgiven by God. And you think it's because I don't understand the cross or understand how justification works, but in reality, it's because you experience a lot of shame you did a lot of messed up things in your life and you've never let God spoke into that. You've never addressed that with God. Or some of you, you have a difficult time feeling loved. God, I know God says he loves me, but I don't feel loved by him. And you think it's because I need the spirit. I need to pray more, but it could be because you've never felt loved in your life. You've never felt loved. And that's why it's hard to even imagine a God who loves you. And I know I'm touching upon something deep, and we could do a whole sermon on this and it requires more time. But this is the first thing that we learn from Genesis in chapter 33. You can't ignore your past. And some of you, you've ignored your past your whole life. And you know this is you when you feel a lot of guilt still, a lot of shame, and you don't know why. You're confused why you feel these negative emotions. You have flashbacks of those negative emotions, like Facebook memories, the like that feature. And this is an invitation where God's saying, hey, maybe you got to go deep. Or like Jacob, you got to go back to the past. And some of you, maybe you've explored the past before. Like you've been in small groups and you've done life maps and you shared your testimony. But maybe even though you've explored it, you haven't been fully healed from it yet. I've done a life. If you guys know what life maps are, it's pretty much something that people in our church have done with a shared testimony. I've done a life map eight times. Eight times I've done life maps. I know everything that happened in my life now. But I don't know if I'm still healed from it. I don't know if I'm healed. I've seen professional counselors, at least I've seen four different professional counselors. We've explored my past over and over again. I know my past. I know the pain. But I don't know if I've been healed from it. And for a lot of us who thinks I've done the past work before, if you're still shameful, or you still have residue from it, that means there's still opportunities that we need to go back. God wants us to go back. Unless you're willing to go back like Jacob went back, it's going to be hard to grow deeper in relationship with God and deeper in your faith. So that's the first point. If you want to go deeper with God, explore your past. Secondly, if you want to grow deeper with God, you've got to reconcile your relationships. I told you, these are deep the things that we're talking about. Uh, so Jacob, after he approaches his brother, he bows down in humility. Uh, Esau, notice how Esau responds to Jacob. In verse four, it says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob. He embraced him. He fell on his neck. He kissed him and they wept. Here we have a family relationship that was broken for 20 years, and they've officially reconciled. And Jacob, he's remorseful, and he's blessed by this moment, so he offers reparations. In verses 8 to 9, it says, Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. So Jacob's pretty much saying, hey, here are gifts. And Esau's like, I don't need it. It's all good. But Jacob's like, he's. we actually see what's interesting is Jacob is adamant about it. And verse 10 is the verse I want to focus on because this is a very fascinating thing that Jacob says. In verse 10, it says, Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me what an interesting phrase jacob said by reconciling with you esau by seeing you i saw the face of god and it's even more significant because in chapter 32 jacob said the exact same thing after he saw the face of god wrestling with him he wrestled with god i saw the face of god he sees esau i saw the face of god what's going on here why does genesis record that in that way here's the thing a lot of us we think if you want to experience god Go to a retreat, go on missions, worship, pray, listen to a sermon. All true. Chapter 32 confirms that. Jacob, he vertically related to God. He worshiped God. He experienced God's presence. But here in chapter 33, what we see is but you also experience it with your relationships with one another, with your reconciled relationships with one another. In other words, the more you experience restored relationships in your life, The deeper you get with God, the more you experience his presence in your life. And if this is true, all of us always have an opportunity to grow deeper with God because all of us have broken relationships. All of us have opportunities of reconciliation all the time. And that probably explains why so many of us, we don't feel that close to God or as deep as we should because our relationships that have brokenness in it, they often stay broken. You get close to somebody, you start becoming their friends, you start to get deep with them, but all of a sudden they hurt you. They say something that is insensitive. And so what do you do? Instead of talking to them about it, you kind of slowly withdraw from them, slowly withdraw. You're bitter towards a family member. You realize you're bitter towards a family member, but instead of talking to them about it, you just tolerate your family member. You keep it surface level. You just keep it chill. You're bitter with your spouse. You're always fighting. You're in the cycle of fighting. And at one point, instead of fighting, you're just tired. And so you slowly disconnect as spouses. And here's the problem. Those moments of conflict, they're actually meant to be opportunities for you to get deep with each other. Because I don't know about you, but my relationships with people who I'm deepest with, it's usually people I fight with all the time. Like my family, my family irritates me. We fight quite constantly, but I would die for my family. Like they are my, that's my my tribe. Like I will die for my family. Their enemies are my enemies. My wife, we fought all the time in marriage. But I would die for my wife. Her enemies are my enemies. Why? Because through the fighting, through the conflict, you kind of level up in your relationship. You just you go from the two foot pool to all of a sudden it's now 10 feet deep. But here's the thing. A lot of us, when we uh, when we experience these conflicts, it doesn't get deeper for our relationships. Instead if leveling up, they just kind of remain shallow. Let me give it painted another way. A lot of a lot of you, if there's like a relational map, imagine your life and there's all these relationships that you have presently. You have, if you're married, you have a spouse, you have friends, you have family, you have coworker, you have church member or so forth all in the beginning, all the relationships are shallow, but they grow deeper through conversations, through activities, through sharing life. It just gets deeper, but all those relationships, what happens is conflict happens, conflict, conflict, conflict takes place through hurtful comments or not being included to parties or events or shady actions. And what should happen is through those conflicts, you work it out and those relationships get even deeper gets even deeper and you have all these deeper relationships. But instead what happens oftentimes is all those relationships kind of stop. You avoid each other, you withdraw, you find new friends. The only one that's growing deeper is your spouse. Cause you have no choice. You're stuck with each other. You have to get deeper with them, but that's it. That's the only deep relationship you have. And maybe that one best friend that you have, but everyone else is kind of surface level It's kind of shallow. Most of your relationships are not that deep because you don't seek reconciliation and here's the problem. When your relationship with other people are horizontally shallow, your relationship with God will also be vertically shallow. Because when your relationships are going well, when they are all happy-go-lucky, you don't need God in those relationships. No happy couple needs God. No happy couple prays to God, help me to love my spouse. Help me to reconcile with my mom. Help me to reconcile with my friend. You don't need that in a happy relationship. It's when you're in conflict with them that all of a sudden you realize I can't do this by myself. I can't make this work by myself. This is the moment where God needs to come into your life a little more deeply and his grace is needed in your life to make these relationships work. That's why I like this quote from Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp, and I'll post it in our chat just so we can see it. But they say that our relationships, they are not simply designed to make us interdependent with one another. They are intended to drive us to God in humble personal dependency. At some point, every relationship brings you to the end of yourself. And with God, there is no healthier place to be. When I am willing to confess how weak I am, I am most ready to reach out for the grace that can only be found in Christ. In other words, what they're saying is this. If you want to grow deeper in your relationship with God, this is what relationships horizontally are there for. You need God to strive to work things out with people. But this only happens when you strive to work them out. If you withdraw, you don't get close to people, don't get close to God. But if you draw near to people, and you draw near to God, because you need God to draw near to people who you're in conflict with, you'll be like Jacob, where before he met Esau, He prayed to God in a way he'd never prayed before. He wrestled with God in a way he'd never wrestled with God before. He experienced intimacy with God in a way he'd never experienced intimacy with God. And when they reconciled, he experienced God's presence. He said, I see God face to face again through this restored relationship. If your relationship with God feels shallow right now, maybe it's because your relationship with people are often shallow. Are there relationships in your life that you are avoiding? Are there relationships that are kind of broken and it's an invitation to go deep and be, and reach the end of yourself and go to God? Or are you somebody you kind of go, I'm just done with that? Are there conflicts with people that remain unresolved? I know it's not easy. I, I have painful relationships too. And it might be really complicated to start with your mom or your dad or something deep like that. But are there any broken relationships that, hey, this is something that I should focus on. We haven't talked in a few months and we're cool. We're cool with each other. But it's not good. I didn't need God to be cool with somebody. I need to do the hard work of actually reconciling things. Do you have people like that in your life? Start there. And I promise you, I don't know anybody who took steps to say, hey, I haven't talked to this brother or this sister in months or years even. But I took that first step, like, hey, do you mind if we talk? I just want to talk. I just want to hash things out, like, in an honest, genuine way. I never heard anybody regret that. Always something powerful happens. And that could be not just because something powerful horizontally happens, but something vertically happens as well. If you want to go deep with God, reconcile your relationships. And lastly, to grow deeper with God, always remember his grace. Constantly remember God's grace. This is interesting. The story ends where after Jacob and Esau, they reconcile, they reunite. Esau, he goes, hey, Jacob, let's let's go back home together. Let's travel and let's go back home. Uh, But Jacob says no. In verses 12 and 13, look what it says. Then Esau said, let's journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks are, and herds are a care to me. If they're driven hard one day, all the flocks would die. So Jacob is saying, if we travel with you at the same pace, our kids and animals are going to die. So here's what Jacob does. He goes, hey. Esau, you go first and I'll meet you there. Look what it says in verse 14. Jacob's still talking. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I'll lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me at the pace of the children until, my, until I come to my Lord in Sire. So he goes, go to Sire, Esau, and I'll join you later. But you know what happens? Esau goes south to or goes north to uh, Sire and Jacob all of a sudden he goes to Sukkoth. It goes to a different place, verse 16 to 17. So Esau returned that day on his way to Sire, but Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth And built himself a house and made boots for his livestock what in the world what's going on here he told jacob told esau i'll meet you there and i'll live with you but jacob goes see ya and he went somewhere else without telling esau why is this taking place a couple of takeaways one is that we see here that even though jacob encountered god is intimate with god and has changed there's still a lot of brokenness in jacob there's still a lot of Jacob and Jake, even though Jacob is now Israel, he's still Jacob. That's why I noticed that even though he's named Israel, he's the narrator keeps calling him Jacob throughout the story. Why? Because he's still Jacob. He's still a deceiver. He still messes up. He's changed, but he's not perfect. That's who Jacob is. Jacob's messed up. But you know what's else is interesting about this is not only is Jacob messed up, but I actually like Esau in the story way more than Jacob. Esau is such a good guy. Notice that Esau, he's the victim. Esau got jacked of the inheritance. And yet it was Esau who lovingly embraces Jacob, who hugs him, who kisses him, who forgives him. And it's Esau that's like, hey, brother, let's go back home together. And then he got jacked again later on. Esau seems like a better person in every way over Jacob. And yet, God's covenant blessings are not with Esau. It's with Jacob. Why? Why? What's the deal, God? Why are you doing that? And here's what we learned, something very important. God's covenant promises, they are not given to those who are more righteous. They're given to those who admit they're not. If God chose people based upon their righteousness, if God chose people like an Esau, who are better people than most other people, he would never tolerate a Jacob. He would have been done with Jacob a long time ago. But this is how the God of the Bible relates to sinful people. It's not based upon how good you are or what have you done for me lately. God is a God of grace to those who do not deserve it. And the way that God works with Jacob and Esau, it's the same way that God works today. The gospel tells us you are made right with God and you are invited to approach him, not based on what have you done for me lately, or how are you doing right now, but it's based upon who God is and what Christ has done for you. The gospel tells us you are made right with God, not because of your purity or your lack of sins or the strength of your faith. It's the weakness of your faith. It's the weakness of your sins. But it's those of us who admit we need a savior. That's where God says, come, come and worship me. Come and experience fellowship with me. And the deeper you understand this, the deeper you're able to continually go to him without shame, knowing that God, his love for you, is steadfast, not because of you, but because of what God sees in you in Christ. And that's why the story ends in verse 18 and 20, where Jacob, he comes to the land and look at verse 20. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. That phrase El Elohe Israel, what it means is God, the God of Israel. When we see Israel, we think a nation. But Remember, who's Israel right now? Jacob's Israel. What Jacob is saying is, I am Jacob, but I come to you, you're my God, and I am actually Israel in your sight. I am different in your eyes. I'm not Jacob, I'm Israel. Jacob is a sinner. but He recognizes in God's eyes, he is a covenant partner to the living God. And that's why he's able to come to God and worship him. In a similar way, this is what we need. This is what we t- need to remember to grow constantly deep with God. That is based upon not how our feelings, but upon his grace, not our works, but upon his righteousness. And keep going to him, and the deepness will be able to be more felt in that type of relationship. To give you an illustration of this, uh, just a closing example, you know, when I do premarital with young couples, and some of you who have done premarital with, you know, I do this all the time. Always at the end of every session, I go, so. Tell me why you love each other. Why do you want to get married? Or don't tell me, tell each other. And it's awkward because you have to face each other and say, this is why I love you. And you know what happens oftentimes for the couples that are kind of younger or newer or they've just been in a relationship recently, when they're planning to get married, they always say the reason why I love you is for good things. I love you because I think you're so funny or I want to marry you because you, you did this for me and that was so sweet or I love you because you're so thoughtful and I realized I want to marry a thoughtful guy. And it's always it's very sweet and it's very romantic. Now, I also do counseling for couples who are older and their relationships kind of struggling. And I make them do the same thing. I go, I know you guys don't like each other right now, but why do you still love each other? Like, why do you still want to get married to each other? They never say anything nice about each other. (laughs) They they don't say like, oh, it's because you're so thoughtful or because you're so caring. You know what the usual theme is when older married couples talk? They go, "I I love you because I realize how messed up I am. I realize I'm a screw up. I realize, man, I put you through hell, but you still love me and you still are committed to me. That is why I still love you, that you could have somebody like me in your life that you want to share the rest of your life with. And When I look at those two reasonings, the young couples and the older couples, I'm like, ooh, both of them are sweet. But those other couple, the older couples, when they share their reasonings, man, something deep about that, something powerful about that, because they understand that relationships covered with grace covered not because of what you do but because of someone's love for you despite what you do that's deep love that's a deep relationship and that's what we hear from god god tells us that he shows his love for us not in that while we're still righteous it's while we're still sinners that christ died for us and there's no better example of this in the life of jacob who was wicked constantly messed up and yet he constantly turned to god and God, even in Jacob's flaws, his promises are with him. And his promises are with those also who are like Jacob, who turn to him and trust in his covenant promises. And so as we close Genesis, after five months, I hope that we could all see as a church, not these amazing stories of how awesome Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were, but I hope we could see how gracious and loving God is to work through sinners like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, bringing them closer in with him through covenant. And it starts with them understanding what it means to relate to God in this way, in a covenant way, where God, he loves them, not because of what they do, not because of who they are, but because of who God is. So may we as a church remember that as well. Let's all pray together.